What do astrophysics, black holes, and wormholes, which are tunnels between black holes, have to do with fitness and healthy aging? Hello, and welcome to the Over 50 Health and Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin English, founder of The Silver Edge. Our mission at The Silver Edge is to inspire men and women in their 50s, 60s, 70s, and beyond to live their strongest, healthiest, most fulfilling lives. My guest today is Kenneth Line. Kenneth spent a great deal of time and resources earning a PhD in physics, and he specialized in studying black holes. But despite being drawn to space and academics, he wasn't fulfilled. Something was missing. So he left academia and he moved his family to the foothills of the mountains in Chile and became a climbing guide. Life changes caused him to move back to Santiago, and once again he felt the pull of science, this time geophysics and seismology. He went back to school and ended up spending some time in Antarctica studying seismology. But once again, this work didn't fulfill him. It turns out his passion is teaching, specifically teaching men and women over 40 how to regain mobility and correct postural imbalances and to increase strength as they age. Join us this week as Kenneth discusses how he stays in the best shape of his life in his 50s, the importance of patience and following your passion. And now on to today's show. Hello, my guest today is Kenneth Line. Kenneth is a 51-year-old coach specializing in body weight and kettlebell exercises. Kenneth, welcome to the show. Thanks for having your show, Kevin. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm really excited to talk to you about being in great shape at your age. But let's back up a little bit and start at the beginning. Why don't you tell us, what were you like as a kid? Were you an active boy? Yes, I've been always active, uh, thanks to my dad. Uh, he played uh, field hockey, so I started to play field hockey when I was about seven. And by the way, he's now my father is now 83 years old, and he can still do three pull-ups. I okay, great. Three. So, yeah. yeah, no, he's All in right. great shape for his age. Okay. So I've been always uh, involved in sports, but I started in field hockey, which is a team sport. Mm-hmm. But I think due to my personality, I always like more individual sports. I've been a, a lonely, I was a lonely kid. I like to study a lot and to do sports. When I turned 13, I decided to do martial arts. I loved them. I loved martial arts. That was another dimension for me. I, I always admired people who could control their bodies in in that way for no implements anything just you and your body okay and i i can clearly see by looking at say your instagram account today how that's going to carry over into your adult life right sounds like you've always been active you had the field hockey which uh i guess you inherited some of that from your dad the, the love for that sport and playing that but as you mentioned you were you you kind of felt drawn more to individual sports and you found a love for martial arts. So were you then doing for, for your martial arts? Is this something that you continued for quite some time or how, how did the trajectory of your martial arts go? Let me talk about something a little bit different because at the same time I started martial arts. I was 13. I left college uh, and I went to the university and I always wanted to be uh, study physics. So I became a physicist and I worked in theoretical physics, researching in black holes and martial arts were, that that was the energy that kept me going. 
Okay. At one point, I was so drawn by physical activity that due to um, an accident I had while I was practicing karate, while I was in rehabilitation, I started to rock climb. So for the next 15 years, I continued to rock climb and became in parallel a, a mountain guide and also a rock climber instructor. And then I left, I quit my job as a physicist. That was a breaking point in, in my life because when I quitted physics, that was all, physics was always my passion, but I had really deep and philosophical problems with what I was doing. And I found this real connection with life through my body. Okay. I, I love that. And I want to pick some of that apart. So let's, let's back up a little bit. You talked about you were drawn towards physics and it sounds like you have this deep kind of contemplative side of you. You, you had this almost philosophical sort of affinity for, you said you were studying black holes. Where do you think that the passion for that came from? Why, why study physics and, and specifically black holes? I don't know. My, my mother always, she, she tells me I was born like that. I learned to, to read when I was a little less than three years old. I'm not a genius, by the way. No, 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 no. I, I am very passionate. That's the only difference. I had friends, physicists. I know physicists, which are real genius. But I am just a passionate person. I always been. Nothing else. Okay. So you, you've got this passion for, for physics, you, you study black holes, and but at the same time, you're, it sounds like you're also very drawn towards human movement, specifically yes. your human movement, right? Your body, it's that kinesthetic awareness. Uh, you found a, a love of karate, it sounds like. Uh, there was an injury then, right? And karate, is that what yeah. happened? And you, you ended up in some physical rehab? What, yeah. what happened there in, in the karate? What, what was the accident? That no, I just broke up? a finger. Okay. Uh, the little toe in my in my foot, and then I started climbing. I could climb with that with the fingers, so it was no problem, and I loved it. Again, it was a complete con body control, and I enjoyed especially uh, sport climbing. Not so much alpine climbing, but sport climbing, really hard routes, very overhanging cliffs and stuff like that. Okay, so a lot of my audience is probably not going to know what you mean when you say sport climbing. And climbing is divided into several, you know, people probably are thinking of more of the mountaineering type thing. But there's bouldering, there's sport climbing, there's uh, alpine and mountaineer climbing. Talk a little bit about what sport climbing is. Sport climbing is, the, the finality of sport climbing is to climb short routes uh, just using your hands and your feet, just your body. And you use a rope just for security, but the rope is in at no moment helping you to climb or to lessen the difficulty of the, of the particular uh, climbing route. Gotcha. And so, and there's a, there's a rating system for climbing as well. Is that right? They, yes. I, I don't know. I know here in the U S we use the, it's a 5.12, Okay. And so and just so we get a, a, a sense of, of what you're doing. So what are some of the more difficult climbs and climbing routes that you've done? Yeah. The, the hardest climb I did was a 512DD. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not sure everybody understands what that is, it, but that's, that's a very technically challenging yeah, climb. And right? physically very demanding. And that's the time where you must 
trained specifically, even for some routes. Yeah. So when you're saying some routes, there, there's this very specific route you're trying to climb, and you yeah. may attempt that many, many times before many you, times yeah. before you actually a- accomplish it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so obviously you fall in love with climbing because you're going to take a career that you've put quite some time and resources into this physics career, and you're going to walk away from that to be a, basically a climbing guide, right? Yeah. Everything in the physics department I thought I was. I lost my mind. That was a small scandal here in the department because I had already my PhD, everything. And then I said, no, no way. Yeah. So PhD. And I'm assuming then you were, you were teaching. Is that right? You were yeah, teaching and doing research and, and wormholes, black holes and wormholes. Yeah. Black holes and wormholes. <laughs> and, and you end up, and you end up here. Okay. Yeah. So we've, we've got you, we've got you climbing and what happened with your quality of life? I, I don't know what it was like while you were a professor, but can you tell us what happened, what it was like to make that transition? Well, I lived much simpler because uh, I went to climbing expeditions all the time. And there you really learn to live with the simple stuff of every day. Just you're happy to have a nice meal, a shelter, good friends, and be healthy and passionate about the adventures to come. And that's all I need still. (laughs) And were you traveling? Yes, I traveled a lot in Peru. I went to the States, in Europe, all for climbing. Okay, that's great. Now, are you still climbing today? No, no, because the story goes on. Then. Okay, so yeah, that's, 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 great. that's a great segue. Let's let's hear what happens here. So we, we've got you climbing. You've quit your professor your professorship, and you're you're just kind of footloose and fancy free. You're climbing. You're teaching. Living sounds like with just very little material things. And where do we go from there? Well, at the same time, uh, there were it was uh, twelve years passed. So I said, yeah, maybe it's time to resume some of my studying because I I love studying. But I thought physics is not the way. I like to be in contact with the earth, with something more real. So I started a a new study in geophysics. And I became doing research in seismology. And at that time, I was returning from a mountain climbing trip. And uh, one of my colleagues, said to me, hey, you want to go to the Antarctic? There is an open an opening for one person, and they need somebody like you with experience in, in outdoors and so on, plus seismology. So I went there, and I went for a three-month trip to the Antarctic. And that was the trip where I finally 100% decided to resign to science. <laughs> I love science, but not for pursuing a, a job or a career, anything else. I feel, felt it was a very nice trip, but I felt very disturbed by the way we were perturbing the, all the, that uh, untouched nature there. The animals, they really freaked out when they saw us. They have never seen humans before. And all that made me feel really awkward. So when I returned, I said, okay, now back to the mountains. And then I went to the far north of Chile, in the driest desert in the world, the Atacama Desert, close to very high mountains. And in a small village, I bought a piece of land 
and they're starting my own climbing business. Okay. So again, I want to pick apart a little bit more of the story. So the geophysics part and the seismology, I'm assuming, did you go back to university then? For yes, yes. Training? Okay. yes, because the, it was very compatible with going outdoor. There were lots of field expeditions. Mm-hmm. And so everything fitted. But no, it was my second attempt. And then I said, no, it's enough. My path goes somewhere in another direction. Okay. And so we've got you three months in the Antarctic, and I can imagine that had to be quite a life experience, but you saw some things there that, like you said, turned you off to the science. And so you bought bought a little bit of land, opened up a, sounds like a climbing retreat or a climbing uh, training facility. It was a small uh, climbing agency, and I started doing expeditions to Mount Aconcagua, climbing in Peru, in Argentina. I'm doing all the nice trekking and hiking circuits close to that uh, village, which is called San Pedro de Atacama. It's a very known place in Chile. And I got married there and my daughter was born there. And then she had, my daughter had serious health issues when she was one year old. And so we decided to return to the capital, Santiago. And besides that, it was the health issue of my daughter. And on the other side, the job was really demanding. And I was a lot of time, a lot of my time, uh, not at home. So I sometimes I was away for four months. And that was also not the life I wanted. And I'm not a very good businessman, I have to say. So I did everything myself. I didn't have a structure of how to delegate and how to organize it. Uh, we came back to Santiago and then it was, okay, <laughs> what should I do now? The agency was still running there, but in the meantime, I had developed another passion, which was a passion I had since I was also a child. It was to teach. So I wanted to returned to my teaching, but to children. I wanted to teach children physics and math, but in a different way. And you were teaching, you were teaching physics? Physics and math, and math yes. Okay. And to what age children? Uh, between, they were uh, 12 and uh, 15. Okay, so you're, you're back, you're in Santiago. Are you still, so now, now things have changed, right? You. Yeah. Before, it sounded like you were more footloose and fancy-free, but now all of a sudden we, we're married, we've got a daughter, a daughter with some health complications, yeah. and you're making these decisions. Well, maybe it's not best for me to be gone, especially months at a time, right? So you're back. You have a little more stable life, I suppose, with, with teaching. Uh, are you still keeping up with your with your health and your fitness? During yes, this time? I never stopped. Then, when I had the two, year 2004, we came back to Santiago, and at that time, uh, I wanted to continue climbing, but I didn't want to have my like my previous life where I went for one week or the whole weekend for myself for climbing. Now I have a family and a daughter and a son was coming. <laughs> so I said, I tried to take them climbing, but my wife in that time, I know I'm divorced, she, she wasn't into it. So then I said, I want to be with the children. So I, I began to take them to out to the mountains and we did lots of trekkings. 
But on my side, I started with, for the first time, with CrossFit. In Chile, there was no CrossFit. So I did just the workouts that are on the internet. And so I bought a pair of rings and had my pull-up bar. And I started reading uh, a book written by Christopher Sommer, Building the Olympic Body. He's a, a gymnastic coach. And he was the first one to write a book about how an average person could develop some of the strength skills that a professional gymnast has. And it's all the path to working out with progressions. And that's when I started. So that's interesting. You say you were you found CrossFit, and at that time there were no CrossFit gyms. So pe- people that aren't familiar, CrossFit's almost a, a, an open source workouts yeah. kind of methodology. There's a lot of different programming, but CrossFit HQ or headquarters still to this day puts out a workout of the day that anybody yeah. can do. And so you were following this just on the internet each day, they would post a new workout and that's what you would do. Um, yeah. that, I could, that certainly makes sense. And then from there, there's this book, Building the Olympic Body. And now I think we're going to get a little closer to where you are today. Cause that's, if I'm not mistaken, that's written by a, a, a gymnast. Is that right? Yeah, but I had another breakthrough because after four or five years of doing CrossFit, my health was very deteriorated. I was sick, maybe I had flu three, four times a year, chronic sinusitis, ear infections. My body was absolutely drained out. And I came in touch with an old friend who was at that time doing Kung Fu. So I began doing Kung Fu and in parallel also practicing uh, Tai Chi, Qigong, and my gymnastic works. That was, I devoted most of the time to the martial arts aspect, but I always had time for my rings and my pull-up bar and doing some dips. And I began to progress a lot. And when I turned 40, I began to have serious uh, also back problems in my lower back. I just couldn't sleep because of the pain. My both legs went numb all the day. And so I went to four different doctors, two MRIs, and they all wanted me to get an operation. I had two herniated discs and also some arthrosis in the in the very lower back so they said yeah forget about all what you're doing now and lifting weights and all that and then I said no way no way but the first the first days I was really depressed four doctors all said the same and very good doctors the best I could find and researching one day in one of the forums a CrossFit forum about, there is an injury forum. There was a group of Navy SEALs discussing how they had very serious uh, herniated disc problems and how they got their back problems solved just by reading a book. I said, wow, yeah. And I continued reading. Uh, Another guy just posted something very similar, the same book and just by reading. 
And then I said, let's give it a try. I don't have the name now, but I can send you the reference of the book. I read the book. It was written by a, a spine doctor. Yeah, he, he had done more than, I think, 400 uh, surgeries, yeah, back surgeries, uh, all about herniated discs. And his conclusion is most of the patients never get back 100%. And he said, notice that your back problems occur between 25 or 30 years old until you are maybe 70. Younger folks never have back problems. Older are stiff, but their backs don't hurt. So what happens in there? And he comes to the conclusion, it's stress. It's all stress. And the theory behind the herniated discs and the numbing of the legs is that the spine discs are uh, compressing some of the nerves. And the thing is, the muscles around your lower back, they get so contracted, there are really spasms. And it's all because of stress. When you realize that you don't have a structural problem, but you have a mental problem, things will go away. Well, the same, the same thing that happens to these Navy SEALs happened to me. I finished the books, and since then, year 2005, never again had back problems. <laughs> never again. <laughs> now, that that's an interesting story, and certainly we know in the medical literature that stress is bad, right? I mean, we're evolutionarily hardwired for stress to be a good thing to help us in an emergency situation, the, your, your flight or fight, right? If your ancestor was walking along on a hillside and he came face to face with a saber toothed tiger, he would need that cortisol to get his heart pumping in his, you know, just completely dumping his, all the resources into fight or flight. And what's happened in our modern society, I think, is that we have this constant lower level stress, but our physiological response to that stress is just the same as if it were a life or death, flight or fight situation. And most of us aren't in those situations frequently. And so that that's very interesting. I, I think that pretty much everybody understands that stress is, is bad, right? Stress is not, it'd be better to be less stressed. But I think a lot of people miss just how damaging stress can be physiologically, certainly emotionally and, and mentally. But that's a fascinating story. I, I haven't heard that. And I, if you don't mind, please do send me the, if you find the link to that book, I, that's quite interesting. So this was in 2005? Yes. 2005. So you had, and I think the way you said it was it's, you didn't so much have a structural problem as you had a mental problem. Even I had two herniated discs. Even if, even though, the, yeah. yeah, so, so I, still you, have yeah but I, I guess we could say the causality then was more of a, of a emotional mental stress situation. So after reading this book, what did you, what did you change? What lifestyle changes did you make that helped you to overcome this, this stress? I think that was my first step into realizing I was responsible for my own health, nobody else. I think the first person that can help me and the only one I can really trust is myself. So when you start thinking that way, uh, you can overcome really serious stuff. When I began doing martial arts and doing more Tai Chi and Qigong and meditative stuff, my illnesses became less, yeah? So I, maybe I had one a year, 
And before I was doing my black belt examination, I had, I again, started with really, really bad pain in my left shoulder. Again, I went to the doctors. MRI, x-rays. This time there were, again, four doctors. The four doctors wanted to have surgery on me, but not just surgery to repair something. They wanted me to have a joint replacement. They said, your, your joint is not working. And I said, they, they tell me, okay, move your arm up. I moved my arm up. Does it hurt? No. Sometimes it hurts, but it should hurt. According to your x-rays and your MRI, it should hurt, but it doesn't hurt you. I left the doctors and said, okay, what do I do? I don't want to get operated. I go, I will go through this alone. And started, I started researching, studying anatomy. I love to study, by the way. So I started changing everything. So I stopped doing uh, heavyweight liftings. And that was, was the time I quitted my martial arts. And I said, okay, now I want to focus just on my health and in correcting all my imbalances because I realized I, my body was full of imbalances, muscular imbalance, full, bad posture. So I started this, it's a very slow road in which you have to be very patient because mobility changes occur and can be measured maybe every six months, not every week, every month, no, and sometimes years. The same with uh, your soft tissue conditioning. It takes years. And this has been the, the road I've been taking since then. And it's been fascinating. My body, I don't have aches anymore. I can bend, twist, do everything. I also quit doing cardio five years ago. I felt <laughs> I don't need cardio. And I still go to the mountains, don't go tired. I don't know what this is. But I think many things today are very overrated. And I don't trust so much what I read in general. I go to the scientific literature, and when there is not so much knowledge, I try to research it with myself. And clearly you, you have that background, right? You've studied hard science, you've studied geology, you've studied uh, physics. And it, it certainly it sounds like that fits your your personal nature to be inquisitive and to look internally. And and I think that that's also that idea that you're responsible for your health first and foremost. Your resonates with me personally, and I've heard that several times on this show. Right, talking to other people where they just come up against medical opinions and they get very frustrated. It's not until they decide to take responsibility for their own health that things really turn around for them. So I, I think that's fascinating that you're on this journey. And I also think that it's, it's great that you point out that it's that, like you said, with um, soft tissue, with uh, mobility, that these aren't things that you're going to change in a week, maybe not in a month and, and maybe it's years. Right. And I think that just with our, the way our society is such a an immediate gratification kind of society, it, it makes it, that's a tough sell for a lot of people, right? Hey, we're going to put in all this work day in and day out, and we're not going to see results day one, week one, month one, maybe not even in three, six months, but the payoff is there if you're patient enough to keep with it. So 
what are you doing today in terms of exercise? We, we, we've got you going through quite a, quite a bit of different things from field hockey to climbing to expeditioning. And, uh, you got into the CrossFit lifting the weights, um, back into the Kung Fu Tai Chi kind of things. Where did that land you now? I'm now devoted 100% to calisthenics work just for myself. I did also a kettlebell certification in the U S and I teach kettlebells. It's people have a lot of fun training with kettlebells. I love them too. And the calisthenics or the gymnastics uh, way is still a lot uh, harder. You need, need a lot of commitment. You sometimes do not see how much you progress. Your progress is oof, measurable maybe in years. I've been practicing, for example, for the planche. I started two years ago. It will take me maybe two years more. And at my height, I am 186. That's six foot one. Uh, it's for most people almost impossible, but I'm still going very far. So I think it's just been methodic and passionate about it. It's not for everyone. It's just for me. I love it. I enjoy it. And I'm also learning to do handstands, never did handstands before. And all these challenges are what, what motivates me and how I, I prepare my body to do them. For example, in my handstand work, I do maybe 20% of handstand work. The other 80% is just mobility work. I have to get back my, my shoulder mobility, which I lost in the last 45 years. So I have to get my body fixed first. And what do you do for programming? Do you have a coach or are you kind of, is this a solo endeavor for you? A solo endeavor, very hard. So I film myself at every training session, analyze my videos and I have lots of books and readings. And sometimes I interact with some people, mainly through Instagram. I think what helped me a lot was the martial art and Tai Chi and Qigong aspect of being self-aware. Self-awareness is maybe here the most important thing. For me, this gymnastic work is, I call it uh, strength yoga, because the body awareness you have and you develop is amazing, amazing. You can control at the end every muscle of your body. You can activate by will. And this, I see it in the people I train. One of my students said yesterday, now I can feel my lats, he said. I never felt my lats. I can feel them now. Great. Things like that. Yeah, and I, and I found you on Instagram, and I'll drop your Instagram in, uh, handle into the show notes here. But folks, definitely go over and take a look at, at Kenneth's Instagram. He's got some amazing videos there. You'll see that he is very fit, very strong. And obviously, this the calisthenics or gymnastics type work you can you can see him working out there. So, talk to us a little bit about what your workout regiment looks like. How many days a week are you working out, and kind of how is that structured? Well, the structure changed over time. I started with three days, and the sessions were about one and a half hour, more or less. Now I train four days a week. Uh, with one long session of three hours and one shorter session of two hours. And in the days in between, I do, do some mobility and stretching work, which takes maybe one hour or so. But I try, after all my sessions, 
I finished them fresh as, as I started. So after my sessions, I can go to work, I do everything. I don't even almost transpire. <laughs> so for me, the idea is to really work out, and, but to not be exhausted. Because I think always in this phrase, memento mori, remember you will die. So I think I have so much time ahead. What do I want to prove? Just to do everything? No, what passionates me? This, so do this. I mean, some people who are not flexible enough ask me, but I can't touch my toes with my hands. And then I ask them back, why will you? Why would you do that? Do you need that? No. <laughs> why? Okay, so it sounds like four workouts a week, and I'm not sure you would even call them workouts the way you're describing it. It's it's more of a, it sounds like a, a very passionate project of just kind of moving your body. You've got the, like you said, the longer session, then a, a shorter session, then a, a, a couple, two days a week, uh, more mobility type work. So four days a week, what do you do to prioritize your recovery then? First, I... When I before started this calisthenic path, I had lots of muscular imbalances coming from a prioritizing more, for example, more pushing uh, elements than pulling elements. Yeah, and because on each joint you have two muscles attached, and if these muscles have different lengths, there's, there's where the problems start. So the first thing was to compensate and to get to a balance uh, where I now I'm not even in a balance because I have rounded rounded shoulders. I am a tall guy, so all my life I have rounded shoulders. To overcome that, I am doing actually even more pulling exercises than pushing. It's necessary for me. So uh, this balance has been the healing part, I think, because when your body is no more in in an imbalanced state, it, I think the energies and everything inside flows more in a, I don't know, easier way. But when there are areas which are contracted or shorter or your posture is bad, I think something happens there. By the way, since I started, it's been three years ago, no, four years, I've never got sick again in four years. That's the first time in my life. I don't know what that is. I, in the meantime, I even got divorced. When the moment came, I, come, I said, oh, no, I will catch a very bad flu. Nothing happened. So I think this ending your training session without feeling exhausted and not training every day and every day the same elements and to have this variation. I, For example, between sets, I rest three minutes. That's why the sessions are so long. Because if you do a strength, a strength training, which I think it's vital for people over 50, strength training is maybe more important than anything else. There, there's a lot of scientific, really scientific and medical literature uh, talking about that, Mo much more than cardiovascular training. So by strength training, it's, it's a muscular part, but also neural part. Yeah? Your your nervous system is the one who activates the muscular fibers. They also need recovery time. So between sets, three minutes is good. It could even go up to five, 
But then the next day, I do different elements, which do not stress the same I did the day before. And then I have a complete rest day. And then again, and then I have weekends off, generally weekends off. So, yeah, I, I think that that's, that's very well said. And certainly those of us in the 50 and over crowd, um, we need to prioritize our recovery, right? We're not going to recover like we did when we're 20. I think it's interesting that your mind went straight to that postural balance and that opposing muscle groups being even or equal as being important. I, I think that's missed a lot in general. I think a lot of times we're more interested in just, you know, like you said, you, you had kind of the rounded shoulders, you were doing a lot of pushing, you see a lot of big guys in a gym that might be doing a whole lot of, say, bench pressing or something is kind of the classic example. And then the next thing you know, they're really tight through their pecs and that's going to kind of pull them forward a little bit. A lot of us sit at desks all day and that's not helping that posture, but kind of getting all of that back into alignment is really going to make you a healthier, stronger person to do these athletic endeavors later. Is that a fair way of saying it? Yeah, I'm a firm believer that you can strength train and make big, big uh, progress past your 80s. I see it my father. He now has uh, physical issues because he had uh, motorcycle accidents and his two tendons, shoulder tendons, are gone. <laughs> so he, he doesn't have them. So he could be much more stronger at his age. And he still do does very, very strong things, which nobody does. He, he, I posted him on my Instagram. So he's also there. And he has more likes than I ever got. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So I'm a, a firm believer that if you take care of your body in a healthy way, you can progress as much as you want to go. It depends on how far you want to go. I'm a firm believer in that as well, as you might imagine. So let's shift gears a little bit and let's talk a little bit about nutrition. What do you do to fuel all of this exercise and to look aesthetically the way you look? What are your, what's your take on nutrition? I also had a, a very long uh, journey with nutrition. I, many years, I even was a vegan. A vegan, but it doesn't work for me. I went very, very uh, bad, uh, sick. So it took me months to recover. And then I switched to now I eat meat, mainly chicken, lots of vegetables. I eat some brown rice, sweet potatoes. I have not much. I'm not, uh, I have not a great variation of uh, foods. I work mostly on macros and on the micronutrients, which are important. And there must be there fruits, vegetables, protein, carbs, fiber. And when all that is there, lots of uh, hydration. I also supplement myself with vitamin D, some omega-3, eat eggs. And that's it. I mean, the portions have changed. As I am older now, I... I notice I have to eat less <laughs> than I ate five years ago, for example. So it sounds like a whole lot of whole foods then, right? You're not eating yeah. a lot of processed foods. Yeah. And I heard you mention macros and micros in there. Do you track your caloric intake and percent of fat, protein, and carbs as well? Are you tracking yeah. that? Yeah, I have. I tracked them at the beginning, but now I have sense of measuring them just by eyesight. Fair enough. I think that a lot of folks can kind of relate to that where 
you didn't go right to, well, I'm, you know, I'm, you had mentioned you had tried the vegan, it didn't work. And, but it's more, it's not a specific diet that you're adhering to. It's more of a, a nutritional lifestyle. I'm, it sounds like you're eating healthy foods, putting foods in your body that are, that you know that your body is going to respond well to. It sounds like not a lot of variation, you know, what works. So why mess with it? Is that, is that fair? Yeah. Sometimes I eat fish, but I, you can see if the food works after years of training, I can still push my body even harder and I don't have at the day any injuries. Three years without injuries and no connective tissue injuries. So then I said, okay, this is the path, but also the training must be very, done in very slow increments. You can never skip a progression. I, I teach my people for sometimes my students and do them, make them do push-ups. Yeah, I can do push-ups on the floor. How many? Five. Show me. No. Make them on an elevated surface because I want you to engage, for example, your lats and your scapula, not with your shoulders. And they first have to learn that when they can do that, then they can progress. And they feel and they start to feel other parts of the body. At the beginning, they can't eat, they cannot even move the scapulas retracting or protracting they how do you do that and then they can move them backwards forwards and develop much more strength so i built this firm base starting with progressions everything with progressions that's a great point as well. I, I know a lot of us, we, we want to go straight for the results. We want them. And there's some ego to that too, right? You see in a gym where usually it's guys that are going to put on more weight than they can handle safely or effectively. And you see the form breaking down. But that idea that small progress is still progress and is really the way to go for that long haul of, of, of fit and healthy life, right? Yeah. Now, I, I just want to shift gears a little bit because you had mentioned, um, you know, that this, that this is hard work. You're doing these small progressions over time. So what keeps you motivated? Why are you still doing this? What makes you go and progress? I think one important thing is always look back. You have, always have to look back how you were 10 years ago, five years ago or 20 years ago. That's very important. Never forget your past. That's number one rule. And so... I log everything I do, I log it. I write every training session. For example, I do a train for the planche. Before moving on the next progression, I have to hold 20 seconds. I'm now at 16. And maybe I progress one second per week. And one second per week is a lot. Yeah? And sometimes it's not one second in all the sets, no, in one set. And that's progress. So I measure progress in that way. So I never got frustrated because I'm, I'm, I try also with, with my students to show them to, uh, to I show them the little, the, this little for us, little progresses they're doing. They're huge. They're huge. I always tell them, look how you began. Look back two years ago, six months ago. That's what I always do. And the other important thing, I look how much life I have to, ahead of me. And we don't know that, but we have to use it in the best way we can now. That's what's always on my mind, living this day as the last one. That doesn't mean to overexhaust myself in the training. No, 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 no. But today I will do it the best I can. And sometimes I have really, really bad days. I can't 
do anything. Then, but I do them any, anyways. And I said, it's part. This is part of life. Yeah, I, I love that when you went straight to what keeps you motivated. It's it's looking back and looking ahead, right? And I think that's a very, it's a great perspective to have on. And you can kind of look back and see what how far you've come. And then, of course, you have, what what do I have to look forward to, right? I, I want to be the best version of myself going forward. And then to your point that progress isn't always linear, right? We'd all like to see that graph going up and to the right, but it's not a steady line. There's dips and zigs and zags along the way, but as long as, and you had mentioned that you're, that you're logging everything, as long as you can see that, that it's progress over the long haul, then it it helps in those days or weeks when you just aren't feeling it and it doesn't seem like you're making any progress at all. But when you put that into a larger perspective, into a macro perspective, you can say, Oh yeah, no, I am progressing. This is working. I am getting better. And certainly that definitely be motivating, right? Yeah. I saw a lady, she was maybe in her 70s at the supermarket and the, the, her car keys or house keys, I don't know, fell on the floor and she couldn't bend, bend over to, to grab them. So, so I gave her the keys. And then I was thinking, if, if you're at your 50s and you cannot hinge enough to touch the ground and grab something off the ground, imagine in 10 years more or 20, it will would, it would get worse. So your life will be dependent upon others. And what I am a kind of preaching is to live independent, to be as healthy as you can and as mobile as you can and as independent as you can. Clearly that loss of strength, that loss of mobility equals a loss of independence. And that's why we see folks a lot of times that's what ends up putting them in, unfortunately, in a nursing home, um, it's just that inability to take care of themselves. They've lost those basic human primal movement patterns. If you can't squat and hinge and push and pull and that's bad. And to your point, if, if it's already, if it's already weak in your fifties, that's a grim outlook for, for sixties and seventies. But the good news there is it's never too late to start, right? It's never too late to start. And I have seen progress. My mother, she starts, she was, she did yoga. Yoga is great, but yoga doesn't build strength. And she started really her strength training in her in her 60s. And she has overcome lots, lots of problems she had uh, before. Now she is much more mobile, even than when she did yoga, much more stronger. And I see it in my father also. So I think uh, strength and mobility training are my priorities. I think... Uh, Cardio, as I said, five years, no running. I, I even competed in these mountain marathons. I ran like 40 kilometers in the mountains. And that was, for me now, it's ridiculous. It, I was just depleting myself. Yeah, yeah. So now I'm carrying, I'm taking care of my energy and use it in the best way. And now I have time for my kids, for, for my job, for my projects. I'm not tired. Yeah, I think that speaks to just that that concept of self-care. And I've talked about this on this show before quite a bit, actually. I'm, I'm a big proponent of self-care, right? Of taking care of yourself 
as a way of showing up as the best version of yourself, as you mentioned, for for your kids, for your spouse, for your parents, for your coworkers, for just in life in general, if you're putting yourself first in the self-care sense, you're showing up as the best version of yourself for other people. And I, I think that gets that gets lost a lot of a lot of times. People think that, well, you know, that's that's an egocentric kind of point of view that you would put yourself, you know, in your health ahead of your family's. Maybe not. Maybe taking care of yourself and making sure that you show up as the best, healthiest version of yourself is, in fact, the best thing you could do for other people. So I appreciate you sharing that. I want to talk to you a little bit. So we're recording this now in, in January of 2021 and hopefully somewhere at the end of this this COVID madness. But it seems to me in just looking at the kind of workouts that you're doing, this would be ideal for people to start practicing now. You can most of what you're doing it looks like you have some parallel bars but most of what you're doing doesn't really require any equipment but it probably does require some instruction. So let's say somebody is listening to this show or finds you on Instagram and they think, "Wow, I I, I want to look like this guy. I'd like, I'd like to be able to move like this guy." but doesn't know where to start. What do you say to that person? How do they get started doing this sort of calisthenic gymnastic sort of uh, movement routine? Well, I myself, I'm putting up now a website. I hope it will be on air mid-March with some programs and some coaching online about how to start with this. Yeah, from zero, really with no experience and and a lifetime of no sports. Uh, My experience is uh, all my students are over 40 and they had no, no physical activities before. And they have progressed so much. I'm so proud of them. So I know it's possible. And the, I think the, the really great part is that people should look for advice of somebody who's already there. Younger folks develop their strength of training in a different way. Their metabolism is different. The protein synthesis works different. We need much more protein than they do, much more. The way they train, the way they recover doesn't fit for us. So what I learned is how to manage and move all these elements to build a really nice routine, which is takes in account your age, but also it, it's progress is slow, as I said. This is not for people who expect in six weeks, like all the programs or 12 weeks to look awesome. That will yeah, get, get your summer body in six weeks, right? No, no, no. Muscle takes years, years. <laughs> right? to yeah. So, yeah. but they feel good after maybe one week, they already feel something is different and it's the movement. It's the movement. Yeah. I don't train isolated exercises. We just do compound exercises. Lots of mobility and all is compound exercise. I mean, you are doing something with your arms, but you have to squeeze your butt, your toes, your legs, everything. So they start to feel everything. And that's a nice experience with yourself. So that's one thing that this pandemic has given us is what you're describing there is it sounds like you're going to launch in March of basically online training, which means that today your clients, I'm guessing, are all in your geographic area, but now you could coach 
people from around the world, right? And you'll have a much greater reach. And uh, that's certainly us as consumers of these kinds of products. And and as coaches of these types of products, there's a whole new world that we're not going to unwind from here. And that's this online digital world where we're more and more online coaching programs, et cetera. So that's exciting. And if people were interested in in that, they could reach out and they could probably DM you um, and say, hey, put me on a list, something along those lines, right? So we'll make sure we get that into the show notes as well. Well, that leads me nicely into my next question. I was going to ask uh, Sorry you, to interrupt you. Sorry to interrupt sure. you. Go ahead. Just, yeah. I'm actually teaching now people in Seattle and even in Qatar. So I'm doing some Zoom classes with, uh, with people. Uh, okay. Because in Chile, I was... In March of uh, 2020, I had planned to open a gym, and that was just when the pandemic began. Yes, and it was. I lost everything, <laughs> wow. everything. So I started. I bought everything. I had to start from zero. So mm-hmm. that's when I decided to start with this um, online classes. But then, after watching all what is sold around, I saw nothing was very suitable for people over. 40 or 50. It's too brutal and overemphasis of pushing elements, no mobility, or just uh, these quick mobility drills, which bring nothing really, uh, and take no account your history, your medical background. You see, that, that's very important. An assessment, I always do an online assessment. So you stand in front of me, do some squats, overhead squats with your hands, and then I can have an idea. And the routine is built for you. Yeah, those are all great points. Clearly programming for the over 40 or over 50 population is different than you would program probably for 20, 30-year-olds, right? Uh, we can assume that especially somebody coming in deconditioned, over 50, maybe without any kind of exercise background, that we're going to run into some some mobility and flexibility type issues. We're going to not program, and certainly that to your point, the one size fits all kind of programming, some, you know, say a guy in his fifties might pick up a men's health magazine and say, yeah, this looks good for me. And to your point, it probably isn't good for that person. He probably needs somebody to watch him move, to screen him and to kind of program specifically for folks that are a little bit older. So that, that all great, all great points. So we know that you're moving into kind of the online training that you're already there getting ready to expand that it sounds like, but what's, what's next for you? What's the rest of this year hold for you? I am well this year is about starting this new business that's on the on my business side I'm very happy because I love to teach so teaching is my passion and I have a I'm developing an app so I can get in touch with all the people I'm coaching I don't expect to have many people but people I can get in touch so they can even write back their concerns because I think the biggest obstacle is our mind. I've seen in all the folks, they say, no, but no, that's too hard for me. Or you really think I can do that? Yeah, this lack of confidence, which comes with time. You you need somebody who can show you what you have achieved, show you that it's a matter of time, as it was for me. It took me years to go there. So you need somebody who can encourage you and empathize with your process. That, that's what I want to do. More than selling programs, I never see anybody. I am not interested in that. 
I just like to have this feedback. Send, send me your video. I can check your form. Okay. But you know what? Lean a little bit more. Send it back. Yeah. I, so I, I love that. It sounds like your business model then, as opposed to more of a mass kind of appeal, would be a more of a one-on-one. And, you know, we have the technology that we can we can now do that remotely, and it's becoming more and more uh, acceptable, and, and, and more and more folks are, are looking for that kind of uh, an offering. So I'm quite confident you'll be very successful in that. So let's wrap up here, Kenneth. Where can people get in touch with you? What's the, what's the best way for them to, to reach out to you? At the moment, it's via Instagram. Okay. Just DM me. I respond immediately, and I'll be happy to answer all your questions. And right, and that's Kenneth dot line L E I N. I'll drop that into the show notes so you folks can connect with him there. Well, Kenneth, thanks so much for coming on the show today and taking time and sharing your wisdom with us. Um, it's an absolute pleasure. You're a fantastic ambassador for healthy aging. You look great, and I wish you all the best in your future endeavors. Kevin, thank you so much for having me in your podcast. Well, that's our show for today, folks. If you enjoyed today's episode, please tell your friends and please consider subscribing and giving us a five-star review. All the show notes and much more are available at our website at silver-edge.com. That's silver-edge.com. So until next time, stay strong.